in the spring, and this will be an intensive silent retreat. So for those of you who do have experience in silence and want to go deeper, um, this will be Friday night through Sunday of uh, pretty intense silence. We'll have some structure to it, but it will be more intense. So you can come to the fall one and then see if you're ready for the spring one if you want. But I have a practice for the last nine years. I've done an eight-day silent retreat every year, so I'm a big believer. It's just, um, I find it to be the most important thing I do annually for my ministry. And it's people say when I come back, how is your vacation? But it's not really a vacation. It's um, what happens in that is God does some pretty intense peeling of the layers. And um, it gets deeper and deeper into my soul and brings up the things that maybe I haven't wanted to address or things that um, God wants me to face. So um, I believe very strongly in this practice. And we saw with Jesus how he had this pattern of being in solitude, then he would move into ministry and back and forth. So um, I use him as my pattern. So um, we're talking about discernment, and I'm going to start talking about it a bit broader than just decision making. But there, that is an aspect of it, so <coughs> we'll start broader. But I want to start first with um, telling you uh, about a situation my daughter Ashley was involved in. And she's 26 now, but um, she has given us through her lifetime a lot of stories. She's the one who hit a cow when she was driving and um, a lot of things with her car, actually. She just gives a lot of stories for us. So this one, um, so my older daughter, Erin, had already, she had just started college. And I do a lot of traveling, speaking around the country in different parts of the world. And, and my husband had just started a job um, directing a nonprofit in Abilene. And it was a very dysfunctional system, and he had no idea what he was getting into, but it was very stressful. And so um, he was getting this started, and he started having some heart palpitations. And so that, of course, was a concern to us. So we, um, so he went to the doctor, and the doctor said, you know, you're fine. Here's, he gave him some magnesium and said, you know, it's just stress. And so just take some time and relax at different times, and you'll be fine. Well, I had this trip coming up to Africa, and so I was a little bit concerned about leaving the country. But the doctor had said, no, you know, this is not life-threatening. He's fine. It's just stress. You know, we'll deal with it. And, and so I, um, so we decided, we discerned, we decided that I would go ahead and go. It was, it was a week long, so we thought, you know, that's not too bad. So I go on this trip, and I took Ashley aside. Again, she was 15, and I said, okay, you take care of your dad. Keep things calm. Don't hit anything. 
while I'm gone and just, you know, do what you can to keep him calm. So Sunday afternoon, or Sunday morning, he was feeling kind of concerned, so he talked to our doctor who um, worshiped at the same congregation as us. And the doctor said, well, here's some Valium, you know, just lay on the couch this afternoon, watch football, and just relax. Um, you're fine. So they went home, and Ashley was working on an art project in her bedroom. And she had a candle going, and she was working with uh, rubber cement. So she read on the bottle, fumes are flammable. So she had the, the thing, you know, that we've all used. And so she held them to the flame to see what would happen. <laughs> so, of course, pretty soon she was holding two flaming objects. You know, the rubber cement, the flame was going out and the, the brush, it was on fire. So she didn't want to alarm her dad. So she runs into the bathroom and throws them in the bathtub. <laughs> so flames spread across the bathtub. <laughs> so she pours water on it. Of course, that did put it out. So she runs into the kitchen and gets some um, pot holders <laughs> and runs back to the bathroom and is trying to put it out. And, and he's laying in the, the living room, which she had to go by the <laughs> living room as he was laying there. So she goes running past him. She's <laughs> thinking, what's going on? He's a little fuzzy anyway. And so she goes in and she tries to put it up. She can't. Now the, the potholes are on fire. <laughs> so he hears, Dad, the bathtub's on fire! <laughs> so he goes running in there and throws something on it and puts it out. So, but, so she gives us lots of... Um, practice in talking about decision making. <laughs> but she has changed in the last 11 years, but um, we had a lot of fun. But I say this, I tell you that, both because it's just a fun story to tell, but there's a lot of decisions we make without even thinking about it, just boom, boom, boom. But there's some bigger decisions that we make at times that um, we are aware we're making the decisions and we want to take them before God, right? And that is more what we talk about when we talk about discernment. Um, but let me start with a, there's a man in, um, whose name was Benedict and he was in the seventh century and he wrote a rule of life for the monastic communities. And this rule was all about how to live in community, how to eat, how to be obedient to your superior, how to work, how to pray, how to study, you know, all the um, instructions for how to live together. But at the heart of this rule was a chapter on humility. And he, he found humility to be at the heart of this and of everything we do to be about being humble before God. And he used the analogy, not in purple, he used the analogy of a ladder or a chain. Let's see if it hurts. Okay, so he used the analogy of a ladder as to 
also in our relationship with God. So when we begin our journey, um, where is our focus? Why do we begin a relationship with God? Who's benefiting? Us, right. So why would I be in a relationship with God if I wasn't getting something out of it, right? So that's what first starts the journey. But as we come to know God more and more, and it's more of a spiral than just a straight up, we start our sight, our focus turns more outward. So we begin to focus on others as well. So we have this rich relationship with God. We want to invite other people into that relationship. So we start to broaden our focus beyond just ourselves. But ultimately, as we continue the journey, our focus is on God. And God begins to be the center of our journey. And we revolve around God. So, you know, and again, then there's times in our life where we're having <coughs> a hard time and it goes back to us, right? So it's never just straight up in that sense. But for me, um, this, a big aspect of this <coughs> journey was um, my husband and I were in the ministry 28 years ago now would be when this happened. And we lost a baby in stillbirth. And we didn't know what to do with that. I'm a PK. And I had spent my whole life being faithful to God. And so this kind of rocked my world. I wasn't sure what to make of this because I had been faithful to God. How dare God betray me like this? And I was so angry. And for three years, I was angry. And I decided God didn't deserve me, so I wasn't going to walk with God. And so I distanced from God, and I knew how to do all the things. You know, I could be the preacher's wife. I could teach the Bible classes. I could be involved in the community as a minister's wife. But um, I knew I wasn't walking with God. And so, obviously... This is where it was. And this is where a lot of us are in our spiritual journey when we're, and we don't really even realize we are until something goes awry and we think, God, how could you? And then it starts to shine. And I don't say that to make anybody feel guilty, just to highlight that as we begin, it's what do I get out of it? But what that three years of being mad did for me is I realized how lonely I was because I never walked without God and I finally decided I was still mad but I decided it's about the relationship rather than me understanding what God's doing so I decided I'm going to enter into what God's doing in this world rather than trying to figure out what God is giving me in this world. And so that was a real shift in my ministry and my focus. And of course I have not always done that well, not even often done that well, but that's, that's my heart that I want to do. And that's a real important aspect of discernment. Um, is it about me 
or is it about entering into what God is doing in this world? And let me read a couple definitions from two different authors. One is by Ernest Larkin. Discernment in its fullness takes a practiced heart, fine-tuned to hear the word of God and the single-mindedness to follow out that word in love. It is truly a gift from God, but not one dropped from the skies fully formed. It is a gift cultivated and brought to perfection by a prayerful life and the search for self-knowledge. And then Rosemary Doherty said, discernment is the habit of viewing all of one's life through the eyes of faith. And in that faith stance, noticing the movements of my heart to determine which of these movements are leading to greater love and authenticity, focusing one in God, and which of them are turning one in on self. Discernment is rooted in conversion. The question must always be, where is my heart? How does this fit with my heart's desire? So, so bear with me on those definitions. And I have them on a handout. I'll hand out in a minute. So there's two primary perspectives about discernment. One is, God has a direction path for me. That means, it means meaning is imposed from the outside. So I spend a lot of my time looking for where is that meaning? How can I find it? It's kind of the idea of having one person. And if I miss the opportunity to be with that one person, <coughs> I miss it for life. And it's, of course, important that we recognize that God is involved with us. But that's can be very confusing when things don't go our way. Because we might think, well, I thought I figured out that that's where God wanted me to go. And now all of a sudden, it seems like it's something else. Um, so, like the baby, I knew that God did, um, God did cause the death of my baby, but God was certainly involved in that. Does that make sense? Just hang on to that a minute. So that's one perspective. And one of the problems with that, so if we see this as God's will and we're looking for that one thing, we may not find it. But in reality, there's a lot of things we can do that are within God's will. Now there's things we can do outside of God's will, like killing somebody, right? But there's a lot of things, decisions we can make that are within God's will. And as these definitions said, it's I'm looking at what is in line with who God is, the character of God, and what God is doing in this world. So for me, that is often, is this a loving thing? Am I, is this part of God's goodness, part of God's mercy, part of God's justice, or is this all about me? So that's one, one aspect. The next is, in the process of living life faithfully, lovingly, freely, we create meaning of God. So that's a much freer perspective about, about discernment. And again, do I look 
I look for consistency in what I do lined up with who God is. So that's much more about who I am than about what I do. So as that first definition said, it's not about I'm walking along and all of a sudden I decide, okay, I need to make a decision. Okay, God, tell me what to do. It's about living alongside God prayerfully, lovingly, as a habit of discernment. So every decision I make, no matter how small or how large, is in line with who God is. Does that distinction make sense? So it's less about these one-time things where all of a sudden I'm listening to God, and it's more about my whole life becomes an open open arms to God, who are you? And how can I chart my life so it's part of who you are? So that's an important distinction. So again, the question is, whom shall I be rather than what should I do? And I must know God intimately in order to weigh this against God's character. So this involves time in prayer, time in scripture. Scripture is the main form of revelation that um, we come to know who God is, mostly through the person of Christ, that that is the character of God. But it's also in having our life focus on God. So it's not just like come on Sunday morning and that's where I get all my God time. But everything I do as I fold the laundry, that becomes an act of God. Um, I'm praying for whoever's underwear I'm folding at the time. Or as I am interacting with my business colleague, I'm recognizing this is a way that I can be Christ to a person, you know, in whatever's going on in their life. I was, I'm on a national board right now and for marriage and family therapy. And, and when people first meet me and find out I'm a Christian, that is not a positive <laughs> thing to tell people, um, unfortunately. And, and there's a lot of anger um, that I experience. But as they get to know me, and not, again, not saying I do it all right, but they figure out, okay, she's a pretty normal person. <laughs> and um, she's kind, and so we develop a friendship. Um, so it's about who I am every moment of the day, not this in and out thing. Are you with me? Okay. So, um, and there's some assumptions that I have to have in order to buy into this form of discernment. First, I have to believe in incarnational spirituality basically which means that God is active and present in this world now. Um, sometimes we live as if God set us in motion and is gone. But it's about God's with us every moment of the day. So in order to live a life of discernment, I have to believe that. Another is a capacity for and willingness to notice. Can I recognize God's work in this world? Um, I'm a big bird lover, and I love seeing God's creativity in those little hummingbirds that come outside our window, or the different birds 
Um, we, my dogs cornered a baby owl not too long ago, and um, thankfully we were outside. But just the, how did God think of all those different things? And so bringing that lens of faith to every aspect. So it's having that um, ability to see God's involvement in our world. Another is interior freedom, which means basically letting go of control. God, and that's my biggest, biggest, most difficult temptation. I like to hold on to the reins. So letting go and being open to God being in control, God carrying my burdens. Someone, or Parker Palmer coined the term functional atheist. When we live as if the God of the universe isn't walking with us, we have the same worries, the same rage, the same anxiety as a person next to us when we know that God is with us every moment. Um, so that interior freedom to be willing to let go. And then the belief in the existence of evil. There's a counter attack to us having this way of being that you know Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he can destroy. And that's why we want to know is everything I do or is my desire for everything I do lining up with who God is or is it more about me and as one friend said it's about quality of life right um, is it all about my comfort or is it about entering into what God is doing so again it's that way of being that ongoing availability and sensitivity to God is the cornerstone of discernment. This habit, habit permeates all of life and determines my choices. So again, it's a way of being. So I say all that, and now we're going to talk about decision making, which is an aspect of discernment. Um, but there, but it is a there are times when we have a decision to make and we want God to be involved in it, right? We don't want to just make the decision. We want to seek God's guidance. So that's one thing. Um, as I go on these silent retreats, there's a pattern that happens that um, when I first go, you know, it takes me a while to be there. I'm thinking about everything about life and <coughs> all my worries and things that I need to take care of and but then, um, once I'm able to let go of that, there's this wire brush scrubbing. And that's when the things come up to the surface. And it's kind of painful, but it feels cleansing. And the things I haven't wanted to address, or the things um, God wants me to address, start to come to the surface. And God and I deal with it, we, we wrestle with it, but it's good for it to come up. And then, it's this wonderful time of just being loved and leaning into God's embrace and just that's the part that fills us up. And there are times when I'll come on those and I want God to give me the answer to a decision. And almost without exception, there's been a few times I've come out of that with a clear answer, but it's primarily, no, I'm just going to love you. And so I spend this wonderful time just being loved, but things fall into place. 
It's either my priorities shift or the silt is cleared so I can see more clearly. Um, and that a lot is how it happens with God. When I can get rid of the distractions in order to be with God, sometimes those decisions fall into place. There's other times, and this is, this is teaching by um, Ignatius of Loyola, who did the spiritual exercises, but he said God directs us in three ways. First is directly, like um, Saul on the road to Damascus, that we get this answer, boom. And it is so clear, there's no arguing, this is directly from God. So that's one way. The next, if you were here when we were talking about examine, it's looking at what is life-giving and what takes life from me. And when I look at what is life-giving, that's what, how God put me together. Um, so I do more of that. Or the things that take life from me, I do less of them, or I address them. So, for instance, when I was trying to decide whether to go back to school for my PhD, I'm a counselor, um, so I looked at um, what really just gives me life, and it was teaching, teaching adults. And so that helped me discern that, um, looking at that being life-giving. And then finally, sometimes, God just trusts us to make a decision. And so there's, it, we might be deciding between, this is intellect if you can't read, <laughs> a lot of confusion out there. Um, we may have two good choices and we can't get any direction. And this is about pulling on past evidence of God, putting together the pros and cons, and God is giving us, based on our past relationship with God, he's saying, you decide. You know me. Make a decision. And Ignatius was saying that God is equally present in that decision as in the first. God is involved in all those decisions. It just looks different. And we don't know why God sometimes chooses us to give us one and sometimes doesn't. Um, but we trust God in that. So, um, anybody, I want to pause here and see if anybody has questions or comments before I. Is this making sense? I know I'm throwing a lot of content at you. Yes? It was in hashing it out with God. Um, we had some pretty intense discussions after I decided to come back to God. But and I I encourage people to do that a lot. You know, God can handle it, but it really is God.
if a person will take it to God, um, God is faithful. God gives peace and doesn't necessarily give understanding, but um, that to me is a, a big piece of it is pretty rough um, employment situation as a faculty at a university. I won't say which one, but um, I ended up, my the department chair was pretty abusive, and I, you know, I didn't know what to do. That was kind of a, a situation like that where I continually went and talked to him and tried to do the, you know, first goal one-on-one thing. And just got worse and worse and worse. So then went to the dean, and that did not go well. And um, so it seemed like every decision I make was just going deeper and deeper. But just trusting that God is in this, and God, God will bring some good out of this. And you know, eventually, it was seven years of dealing with it before finally. Um, I went to the HR director and, and they pushed the dean to take care of it. And, you know, so in those situations, there's, it's clinging again to God in that, in, in God's faithfulness and God's presence in that, even though I don't understand. That's kind of an ambiguous answer. Had somebody come in here talking about being a spiritual director. Having, what is the, the benefit of having someone who's 
who are trained in being able to kind of, you know, they may be a counselor, but, you know, the spiritual director, somebody just listens and can give advice, but what is the advantage of having somebody like that walk alongside you and things like that? Did you all hear that? Um, yeah, let me say something about that and then about communal discernment. But I'm a spiritual director, as you heard. I think Jim Frost was yeah, he? Sure. Yeah. Um, that is someone who is helping you attend to God in your life. So they're um, listening alongside you, walking alongside you in your spiritual journey. Um, but. Yeah, it's, it can be tough in this situation because like in a situation like you're talking about, you know, they're not going to say, okay, this is what God said. Sure. Um, but they can help reassure that um, this is part of the spiritual journey. You know, sometimes God's voice is very clear and sometimes it's not. So it's, the benefit is about normalizing some of that, um, but also having someone who's asking the God. And then the other is communal discernment, and it's a really, we were made to be in relationship, and our, we are not made to have a solitary spiritual life, although we have to do both, but utilizing the body in terms of um, going to them and saying, will you help me discern this? And I've been part of um, a committee of discernment a number of times where one time I was trying to decide whether to continue <coughs> on as a department chair and I was in a college where I was the only woman um, department chair and I I was trying I was I couldn't figure out why I was wrestling so hard with continuing on as a chair and then you know I was gathered some friends and, and what they do it's like spiritual direction where they're not giving you an answer they're asking questions and listening to the spirit to kind of help bring out maybe God's will and, and one of my one of these friends in the committee said Jackie what are you afraid of and I heard out of my mouth the isolation and I hadn't even realized what a big deal that had been for me but being the lone woman and the um, college of Chairs was really hard, and so once it, once it, um, that came up, then I could do some things to address it. But so just having a body pray with you and listen with you is a really powerful experience. So that's a wonderful, and I've been part of others when they're trying to make career choices or. Um, <coughs> remember what the last one was, but anyway, it's it's a beautiful gift that the community can do for itself. But thank you for your kind attention. We are out of time, so. Oh, and uh, there's some handouts there that are almost being passed around. <laughs> um, <laughs> let me pray over us. Well, those are going around, and we'll be done. 
God, we are so grateful for your active participation in our life. God, open our eyes to that. Help us each moment of the day to know that you are with us. And God, um, just bless us as we continue to serve as your instruments in this hurting world. And I ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.